Welcome to the worship service of the Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. You don't know how excited we are that you have tuned in and you're going to be a part of this worship experience today. It's our prayer that the word of God will bless your spirit, give you direction for your life during the course of the week, and that the singing will inspire you to rejoice and exceedingly rejoice in the kingdom of God. So sit back, be blessed as God ministers to you through birth, both the singing and the word of God. Be blessed. There are some things I may not know. There are some places I
Good morning, family, friends, and guests, and welcome to our virtual worship experience this morning. For our Black History Month moment for the week, we are recognizing our Zion couples. Our hashtag this week is Zion Loves Black. For our first couple, it is Mr. Steve and Miss Cynthia Hill. Steve and Cynthia Hill have been a couple for 43 years and have been married for 36. They have a daughter, Sindel, and a granddaughter, Imani Lynn. Growing up together in South Carolina, their love became strong over the years and they have been married for 36 years. Percy and Joanne O'Neill have been married for six years and have one child. The O'Neill's lesson learned through marriage is in the end, love wins. It conquers all, it removes doubt, and it pushes through fear. It invites deeper purpose and always love wins. Calvin and Jessica Parson, they have been married for two years this coming March. Their philosophy is not to plan too far in advance and to just go with the flow. Our next couple is Nolan and Kathleen Crockett. They have been together for 31 years and married for 29 years. They have five children and one granddaughter. Their favorite song is called So Easy by the 101 North Band. And every once in a while, they'll sit back, reminisce, and remember all the wonderful memories with this great song. Anthony and Terry Baysmore. They have been married for 32 years and have two beautiful children, Tara and Marcus. One of the biggest lessons that they have learned in the marriage is to always start off each day in prayer. It has been the key to their marriage each day, no matter what. We start off with a family prayer and a couple's prayer. The Smith family, Ricky Allen and Moray Smith have been married for six years and have one amazing two-year-old, Maxine. One lesson that they have learned through their marriage is patience, learning to be patient with each other and for what God has in store for you. And lastly, not leastly, our pastor and first lady Murphy. They have been married for 36 years and have two wonderful children. Their lesson is to always keep the doors open to communication, whether you are agreeing or not. And a lesson learned through their marriage is always to communicate and learn to listen to each other. Well, that concludes our Black History Month moment for this week. And we thank you so much for tuning in. And never forget, Black History Month is every month. Have a great Sunday, y'all.
chapter 9, the Acts of the Apostles chapter 9, we're continuing in our sermon series entitled Reset for a Greater Purpose. The title of this sermon is Reset According to Saul, Part 3, Subtitle, When Life Influences Others. Reset According to Saul, Part 3, subtitle, When Life Influences Others. Again, we're going to read from Acts chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 7 and conclude at verse 19. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 7, and here's the word of the Lord. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, here am I, Lord, and the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Justice or Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Again, reset according to Saul, part three, subtitle, When Life Influences Others. There is a principle that proves relevant in regard to the conversion story of Saul, and it says this, be prepared to give someone your yesterday today. I'll say it again. Be prepared to give someone your yesterday today. Sometimes, have you noticed, we go through experiences not so much for us, but eventually we come to recognize it was for the sake of someone else. Your yesterday may be someone else's today, and God may be preparing you to feed their today out of your experience of yesterday. That doesn't mean that we don't take the moment to wonder why such things are happening to us at the time in which it is occurring. Hindsight is an invaluable way to learn how things fit together 
according to divine purpose. And by that I simply mean that isn't it something how after the fact we can look back and recognize how each situation, timing, people fit into the plan of God to bring about the destination or the destiny to which we've now experienced that hindsight provides that kind of valuable situation. There is no such thing in the economy of God as waste because there's a conviction based in the word that God knows exactly what God is doing. So I want to make this application to the story of Saul. And that is that there are two other presents that a case can be made that Saul's life reset further influenced their lives as well. The first is found in verse 8, clause B. Verse 8, clause B of chapter 9 of Acts. And that's those men who are leading Saul by his hand to Damascus. Those men who are leading Saul by his hand to Damascus. Remember now, he's blind, he can't see. Although the scripture will say his eyes are open and yet he cannot see, but these men are taking him by the hand and leading him to Damascus. That's the first group. Then there's a second person, Ananias. Verse 10 of chapter 9 of Acts, Ananias is the one that God provides vision in reference to Saul's conversion. And Ananias is going to need that in order to move forward in being the servant to be used of God to help complete the process of reset in the life of Saul. There are two critical locations further in the text that involve life lessons for us in regard to reset. The first is what's called in the text the journey or the road to Damascus. The road to Damascus. You've got to remember Damascus, verses 3 through 9, that's the whole episode in the Damascus Road. But Damascus is an interesting place in that it's recognized as the most ancient of the oriental cities. It's also further recognized as the capital city of Syria based on Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 17. What's strikingly interesting is that it is between 100 and 30 to 135 miles north of Jerusalem. It would take an average of two, maybe three weeks for one to travel from Jerusalem to Damascus. So this wasn't a short trip on the Damascus Road. It was a space in which Paul or Saul, I don't want to call him Paul yet, Saul ends up walking in blindness. That's critical. And leading others because his, or being led by others, I should say, because his conversion touched them as well. Remember what the text says for us in verse 7. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And only Saul saw someone and heard the voice. And yet, they are now on this 130 to 135 mile journey, several weeks, stuck with Saul, and yet they're going to be instruments in the hand of God. How? To lead him to Damascus. And why is that important? Because Sometimes in the process of resetting us, God sets us down in unusual spaces and interjects unusual people. Persons we would never, of course, would have invited into the journey, but because 
of the process of reset, look who God puts into the life of Saul. And this journey, this 130 to 135 mile stretch of several weeks, this hand-in-hand process of leading Saul will shape and reset his soul to a point of understanding several critical theological concepts that will come alive in the churches that he establishes throughout, not only in the book of Acts, but when we get to the further exposition of letters that he sends back to these various churches. Remember, he's blind. He's being led. What's happening? Well, in this leading process, he's going to talk about and understand, going to learn first and understand the value of connection. Being connected with someone that he has to trust. He is connected to them because they're on the journey with them, but he's got to also trust them because he can't see where he's going. That's why God puts these people sometimes in our paths, in your paths, in my path, that we may not in normal circumstances trust, but because of the situation, we've got to trust them. And in return, what is created is a connection. They come to learn you and you come to learn them. It's a connection that grows us and develops us. Because let's just face the fact, you can learn a whole lot traveling 130 plus miles with someone over several weeks. And here, Saul is being introduced first to what it means to be connected and to trust because he's never really had to do that before. He secondly learned how to be committed and to rely on truth. He has to totally rely on what they tell him in terms of where they're going. They could have him going around in circles and he would never know because he couldn't see. But he has made that commitment to trust them that they will convey unto him truth. And that's what God does to us sometimes in resetting us, putting us in scenarios where we have to make the commitment in order to get to where we need to go And we have to trust that the truth will come from that person. But then God teaches Saul about community. And in teaching Saul about community, he ends up realizing the need for thankfulness. Because even once he arrives at Damascus, he is still blind. And verse 11, I think it is, tells us that even while he is traveling... And more pertinently, when he arrives at Damascus, he's doing the one thing that we probably don't do until that moment comes. He's praying. All of this takes place on the Damascus Road. That's what God can do in a Damascus Road space. He's creating in us this idea of understanding the value of community and understanding the importance of connection and commitment. But then there's another location in the text that we can't ignore. It says in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 9 of Acts that there's a street in Damascus called Street. Now, what's interesting is that this street is actually the main street. We would call it the main thoroughfare that goes through Damascus from one end of the city to the other. And in this city, there's a disciple named Ananias. Acts 22 and 12 tells us that he's a man that was devout and a man that is well spoken of by all of the Jews And we have to consider that he probably was a spiritual leader of the church at Damascus. He likewise would have been one of the targets 
to which Saul was coming to Damascus to address. It's Saul's conversion that God uses to test Ananias. Now watch this, because it's in the converting moment on the Damascus road that God uses that moment to influence the men with Saul to help lead him to Damascus. Now, it's the vision that God is going to give Ananias to help him influence Ananias to do what needs to be done in terms of laying hands on Saul that he might receive his sight. When you read the text, Saul has an interesting reputation in the point that Ananias knows it very well. In fact, it's probably concluded that there were those who came from Jerusalem before Saul, ahead of Saul, and informed him at Damascus, informed them, the Christians in the church at Damascus, that Saul was on the way. And Ananias has a bit of a reluctance to deal with Saul because he knows Saul's reputation. He makes that clear to us in the text. Listen to what he says in verses 13 and 14. When God appears to Ananias and tells him, look what it says in verse 11, I want you to go to a place called Straight in the city, in the house of Judas, and there I want you to know that you're going to find a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, He's praying. He's already had a vision that someone named Ananias is going to come and lay hands on him that he might regain his sight. And Ananias says in verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much harm he did to the saints at Jerusalem. And he is here with authority from the chief priest to bind those who call on your name. Ananias has a reluctance. And isn't it something how when God is using us to influence others and we find out who it is, we have a reluctance because we know their history. We very, may, very well may say that there's no way that God can change that individual. Or we might say that God's going to have a hard time converting that person. Or we might say that we just can't believe that that person has, is trying to come out of that life. Do not underestimate how God is using your experience of yesterday to change someone's today. And here we are in a moment in which Ananias is reluctant. Ananias knows the, the uh, reputation of Saul. He knows the religion of Saul. But what he doesn't know is the reset of Saul. He doesn't know that God has reset him. So God tells him in verse 15 and 16, he says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before the kings, before the sons of Israel, and I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias recognizes that although he's reluctant and although he doesn't know initially, but now he knows that God has reset Saul's life, now Ananias is willing to become a restorer to Saul. One reason why God takes your experience of yesterday and uses it to bless someone today is because he is working on restoring what they may have lost. Remember, we talk about this being the year of recovery. They may have recovered, and your yesterday experience 
may be what they need to help them recover. What is Saul lost? His sight. And listen to what God is doing with Ananias. I want you to go there, and I've already picked the space, the spot to which Saul is going to be. He's going to be in a house that's owned by Judas on a street called Straight. I don't think it's a coincidence that the name coincides with what God is doing with Saul's life, straightening it up. But I want you to be the restorer, Ananias, because I want you to lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. In the meantime, until you get there, Saul is doing the only thing that he can do. He's praying. He's praying because blindness has an amazing way of birthing prayer. It causes one to cry out for help because you need direction because you can't see. Something has blinded you, you have lost sight, and you need help. And Saul is in that predicament. He's doing what he can, pray. He's also doing what he can. He is, I think, reevaluating his perspective. He's looking at his life in the rearview mirror and recognize the trauma and the damage he has been doing to the church. And now he's been introduced to grace and mercy. And he recognizes the need now that I need to go straight. And what does God do? He resets the life of Saul by exposing his faith to the Savior. What he believed before was groundless. And on the Damascus Road, God introduces him to the Savior himself. He not only exposes his faith in the Savior, but he exposes his fervency in supplication, verse 10 through 12. He shows Saul how critical it is that God works in the lives of those to whom he touches that they may carry out their part in the vision that God has for your journey. And here it is, Saul, not knowing who Ananias was, and yet God gives Ananias the vision that he might know exactly what's going on in the life of Saul. The supplication that Saul is going to need is the fervent hand of Ananias to be laid on him that he might experience his sight. And then God exposes Saul to what it means to be faithful in service. In verses 13 through 17, on down to verse 19, again, Saul is crippled to a point where he must trust. He must be connected Remember what we said to the men who were with him? He has to have a commitment and trust that they will give him truth. And he has to understand the art of community and end up being thankful for God showing him grace to lead him on the road to Damascus, to Damascus in a different light. He enters Damascus totally different in the way he planned. He came in with blindness instead of sight. He came in being guided instead of being the guide. He came in being peaceful instead of expressing aggression. And he came in eventually to deliver instead of binding as he was. So here's the question from the text, what are the lessons to which God is trying to convey to us in this conversion story, but more importantly in the influence 
of the men and Ananias on the life of Saul as conveyed unto us. Four quick things. Number one, God resets Saul's life to provide for us new lessons. New lessons that no matter what your experience is on yesterday, God can use it that it might become someone's today to help them reset their life as they develop their own testimony for kingdom building. There's a second thing about this thing that's a lesson is that not only does God reset to provide new life lessons, but God resets Saul's life to provide new light. Listen to what the text says in verse 17, clause B. Ananias is afraid of Saul because of his reputation. But being informed by God that he has transformed Saul's life, Look how his language changes in verse 17, clause B of chapter 9 in Acts. He's no longer just Saul of Tarsus, but he's called Brother Saul. Listen to the text. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on Damascus Road by which you were coming, has sent me that I may regain your sight and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. His light of darkness has been reset, changed, and now it's a light that leads to life because Ananias was used of God to help complete the reset in Saul's life. Thirdly, God resets Saul's life to provide not just new lessons and new life, but new liberty. Look at clause B of verse 17. Listen to what it says. Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming set me, sent me so that you may regain your sight that you can see that you will no longer be stuck in blindness but that you can have your sight and be filled with the greatest presence of who God is in the Holy Spirit. And again, remember, your yesterday can become someone's today because God uses that to show how he can use what we might consider to be the insignificant to bring about significance in the life of another. And then finally, God resets Saul's life to provide a new life. Listen to verse 18. Immediately, says the text, there fell from Saul's eyes something like scales. He regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. That's the objective. That's the purpose of reset. But that's the purpose also of your yesterday experience used of God to become someone's today. That they might gain new life. That they may arise and that what appears to be scales drops from their eyes. And they walk from that point to the newness of life. Let me close by saying that God used even the most obscured saint, Ananias. Were it not for the conversion of Saul, we may have never even heard the story or the name Ananias. That reminds us that behind many well-known servants are lesser-known servants because it's not about fame it's about faithfulness I say that to simply say you don't think about this but you wouldn't have a Martin King were it not really for the workers like Fannie Lou Hamer 
and Ella Baker and Septima Clark, these hard-working soldiers behind the scenes. I challenge you, read the history of the Civil Rights Movement, you'll discover it's not about the men who did the work, it's the women who did the work. They were the foot soldiers who spread the word, who helped organize the meetings, and they are never in the forefront. They are never even heard of from time to time. And that's because what seems to be obscured persons in reality, when you read beneath the surface, is the essence of the entire moment. Also notice that obedience can often be both a risk and a stretch. Ananias had good reason to be hesitant to obey God, but he risked his faith because God is at work on both ends, both on the extreme right as well as the extreme left. On a Ananias as well as a Saul. And God is using that space of service to bring about what leads to the third point, and that is balance. And balance is sometimes difficult, but it's possible. When you read the story, God uses his hand to remove, to remove Saul from his high horse on the Damascus road. And yet, when we get to Damascus, God uses the hand of Ananias to restore his sight that he might see. He uses the hand of those men with him that they may get him to Damascus. Here's the essence of the message. Don't underestimate what God is doing in your life to influence others. What you think is minimal or what you think is least important could be the very thing of your yesterday that God uses for somebody's today. Around you are men and women whom God has placed. They are there to help lead you to your own Damascus. And yet there's also in the journey an Ananias somewhere waiting who may know your reputation, may have a reluctancy, but when God gives him a vision, gives her a vision in regard to your life, they will be what you need them to be, that the scales will fall from your eyes and your sight can see all that God has for you to see. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word from Acts chapter 9. And as we move through this conversion story of Saul, wrap it up on next week, Lord. We pray that this lesson today will help us recognize how whatever our yesterday was, God can use that to bring it into the context of becoming someone's today that they may experience what we call reset. Reset someone's life today for your glory and honor. And we thank you for who you are, the author and finisher of who we are. Save somebody that calls on your name today, Lord. Rescue them from the space of not only eternal life, but poverty, of abuse, of economic depravity, of unemployment, of injustice. Lord, bring them salvation and use whomever that that may be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is always my prayer that God uses his word to bless you in a very mighty way. And may today this word finds a space in your heart 
that your salvation will be experienced in a multiple manner so that we're not just talking about eternal life, but we're talking about your existential life as well now that you might experience this newness of life. It is always my joy to say thank you for your contribution of contributing to the Great Little Zion Baptist Church and making this moment possible. We encourage you to continue to do so for it is our joy to be able to share with you each and every week. We're looking forward to the great things that God's going to do for you. And I pray that you will hold on to God's unchanging hand and trust his word that the best is yet to come. Always remember, God loves you and so do I. Have a blessed, wonderful day and week in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are once again in that sacred moment of our worship for Zion here on the third Sunday. We've come together to break bread at the communion table. And so we invite you to gather your elements, your bread and your cup. Let's come and get prepared to go before the Lord as we take this moment to enter into that sacred space in which our Lord with his disciples did on that tremendous evening, preparing him to go to the cross on that Friday. Let's pray together. Lord, bless this table to which we've come that we might engage in the sacredness and yet the memorialness of that moment in which Jesus and the disciples broke bread and they drunk the cup to remind themselves of being entered into your kingdom through the person of Jesus Christ. Consecrate our minds now that we would have the same reaction as well in Jesus' name as well. As they gather around that table, the Bible says that Jesus took that bread. He looked into heaven, of course, and gave thanks for it and then gave it to his disciples. And as they did eat together, we're going to eat together. Let us eat now. Likewise, the Bible says he took the cup, looked under heaven and gave thanks for it. In that cup was the New Testament anchored in his blood that would be shed on that Friday. And he told those disciples as they did drink together, let us drink together. And when they finished, they did the one thing that would certainly anchor their soul in peace. They sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. Let's now leave this special communion moment as we've had a chance to break bread together on this day, leaving with our voice lifted as we're singing in our mind and our spirit a hymn as we prepare to go into the newness of life for the coming week. Have a blessed, wonderful time in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody lift it up. Since I buried because of you, 